Don't ever let yourself lose out or get yourself into a place where you dismiss or discount the mercy of God. Did you catch that, that words were on the, the screen a few moments ago that our sins, we were beneath, beneath a, a sin load that we never could have afforded, we never could have paid, we never could have actually gotten to the place where we could make it right with God. Yet, God allowed us the privilege of forgiveness by giving His Son Jesus, doing for us what we never could have done for ourselves. That's the mercy of God. That's the amazing gift of the mercy of God that we can never allow ourselves to discount, to forget, to walk away from, uh, to diminish. It is something that we, in our lives, we have to powerfully grab a hold of, celebrate, and as we're going to talk about today, share. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles with me today to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, we're going to be in the first few verses of this passage today. And as you're turning there, let's just pray right now, if we could, a moment for God to speak to us, God to speak through us, for God to do in us today what we need Him to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for the power of the gospel. We thank You for Your mercy. God, we don't deserve it. God, we can never get to the place where we can deserve what it is that you've done for us. But yet today we, we stand here and we celebrate hearts that are full, God, because of what you've done. The gift of your son Jesus who died on the cross, who was buried and who rose again three days later. We are overwhelmed. We are not worthy. But God, we're so grateful. And so today as we open your word, I pray that you would allow us to be encouraged, uh, allow us to be challenged. And allow us to be moved forward in our faith walk and our journey with you, God, so that today, as we leave this place in a little while, that we would be people who are willing to be used by you to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, for that, we give you the praise. And if there's somebody here today, there's someone watching or listening in this service today, God, I pray that, that today, through your words that we share, that we talk about, that we reflect upon, God, that I pray that today you would speak to their hearts, bring them to the place of recognition that they, like all of us, are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, that God has given Jesus as that Savior, the only one who can save us from our sins, and that he did die and that he rose again, and that by believing in him today, God, I pray that you would convict them, bring them to that moment of decision, that moment of conversion and believing in Jesus, and that today would be the day of salvation. God, for that, we give you the praise, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Titus chapter 1, now this book that we're going to be walking through uh, today and again next week, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be walking through this very short little book in the New Testament, but it's a powerful book. It's a book that is an encouraging letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, when you look into the Scriptures, you know that Paul wrote a lot of the letters and the found in the New Testament. A lot of the statements that are there are statements that were given uh, by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to speak truth into the lives of people then, but also to speak truth into the lives of us today. And one of those books is the book of Titus, the letter that is found that we're going to walk through beginning today. Now this uh, letter or book, and we'll use those words interchangeably, uh, was written in about AD 64, 65, 66, somewhere in there, uh, about 30 years after Jesus died on the cross, after he ascended back into heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter as well as the letters to Timothy that he wrote. Uh, Timothy was a, a person, obviously, was kind of a protege of Paul. 
Uh, Paul was encouraging him in ministry, and so Timothy was uh, kind of Paul's uh, emissary, if you will, to Ephesus. Titus was the same, the counterpart, if you will, to Timothy, uh, going to Crete and to Corinth. And so Paul's writing this letter, encouraging Titus of what needs to happen within the local church. Now, I hope you can start to see now the value of this book uh, in kind of the statements that I'm going to make in the next couple of moments. Because you see, Paul wrote this letter to Titus to say, listen, here's what's wrong in the church. Here's what needs to be fixed in the church. Here's how that you need to live within the context of the church. Those of you who are part of the, the, the body of Christ, that, that local gathering of believers who, who, who are banded together to worship God, to serve God, to, to, to partake in the ordinances of the church, and then to, to go out and to share the truth of the gospel with others. Like, this is what you need to do. In this letter, Paul also encouraged Titus, like, watch out for those who, who are doing things that don't fit in with the message of the gospel. And by the way, back in those days, 2,000 years ago, guess what was true then? There were people within the church, leaders within the church, that were conveying a message that they couched in the Word of God, couched in the message of God, used it as a reflection of the gospel, a reflection of what God intended for them to do, the calling that Jesus gave them in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts chapter 1. But yet what they did is they changed it they tweaked it, and in some cases they perverted it to fit into their own model and their own mold of what they believed they should do, could do, and wanted to do as it related to their faith walk. Now, understand this. What was taking place back in 64, 65 AD is no different than what's taking place today. Because there are people within the church today, and I'm not talking about this church, I'm not talking about a local, you know, this local gathering in this room. I'm talking about the big church, the broad church, the international church, the people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. There is a perversion of the gospel, there's a perversion of the message of the hope that is found within God's Word, that we have tweaked it, changed it, and we have molded it, modified it so that it fits into what we want it to be so that we can can live however we want to live, so that we can do whatever it is that we want to do, so that it doesn't really matter because we can just live life, that we can just enjoy our journey, that we can just do whatever it is that makes us feel good, and then we can yet still call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what Paul's writing this letter to Titus to say. That's wrong. Don't do that. Here's what you need to do. And here's what I think. I think that while the church in A.D. 64, A.D. 65, while the church then desperately needed the message that's found within this letter, I also believe that the church today in 2020 desperately needs this message. Do you agree with me on that? I believe we desperately need it because I keep hearing, I keep seeing, I keep watching and whether it be through a, hearing a preacher on TV or, or maybe perhaps seeing a, you know, a, a church member or follower of Christ or a church leader on Twitter or Facebook or all the other social media uh, places, that, that, that we are in a desperate need for us to get back to, to understand what it really means to be a follower of Christ, what it really means to be the kind of person that God has called to use to bring hope to a hopeless world. 
And again, just as it was 2,000 years ago, the same is true today. We live in a hopeless world. We live in a world that is desperate. We live in a world that is off the track. We live in a world that is living in, a, in darkness that we've never seen before. We live in a world today where people are constantly just scrambling for any kind of hope that they can possibly find, and they're looking for it in every place except for the only place where it can be found, and that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, knowing the context of this letter, of why Paul wrote these words, of why he poured his heart out to Titus to say these things, I want you to listen to these words, not as a letter written to a man who lived 2,000 years ago. I want you to listen to these words as if it were a letter written to you. So, wherever you might happen to live in this community, whether you live in the city of Lynchburg or in Bedford County or Campbell County or Amherst County or Appomattox County, wherever you live, that, that, that this letter was a letter that God specifically breathed out into the heart and into the hand of a person who sat down, who wrote these words, and then put it in an envelope, sealed the envelope, stuck a stamp on there, and wrote your name on it and sent it to you, and you happen to walk to the mailbox, you pull it out, you open it up, and you say, wait a minute, this is God's word for me. Which, by the way, just as an aside, that's exactly what this entire book is. It's not just the letter we read today. It's the entire book. This is God's word for you today. So let's go in now to Titus chapter 1. We're going to begin with verse 1. Um, we're going to read it here, the first three or four uh, verses in this, uh, in this chapter today, and we're just going to spend some time here. Next week we'll get into some more, but, but today we're going to just stay in this little first little part. In fact, in your Bibles, as you're looking in your Bibles, it might actually say like greeting, you know, it might say something like that, because that really is, that's what this is, it's a, it's a greeting. It's almost like in, you know, in today, if you're writing a letter, what do you say when you write a letter to somebody? How do you start a letter? Just somebody yell it out. What do you say? Dear John, or Dear Bill, or Dear John's not a good one. That's a bad, that's bad newsletter. Uh, but Dear whatever, right? So, so well, whatever it is, that's how you start a letter, right? So, so you wrote, wrote those words, Dear whatever. Well, this is the greeting. Now, back in those days, the Dear Johns or whatever, it's, it's stretched out into like several sentences. So today, we're going to spend our time in what we would uh, think of as a greeting in a letter that we would write, where we would say, you know, Dear Bob, Dear Tom, Dear Cindy, whatever it might be. Here's Paul's greeting to Titus. But, but as we're spending this time in this greeting, don't, don't miss out on the fact that there's teaching in the greeting. That there's something we can walk away from today that can impact us and change us, even in that short few sentences at the beginning of a letter. Which, by the way, underscores the value of every single word within God's Word. As you spend time studying and reading God's Word, as I do every day, uh, I, I, I'm sure that you've gotten to some places in the Bible where you're wondering, like, why is this here? Like, why do I need to read this? Have you spent any time in Leviticus? You know, and have you spent any time in Numbers where you read through all the different lists and all the different, you know, they had this many people and this many people, you know, part of this group and that group, and here's the guy who led that group, and I mean, all this. And sometimes, let's be honest now, sometimes you sit back and think, why is that really in there? Why do we have to read that, okay? Every word that is found in God's Word is purposeful, it is meaningful, it is impactful, and it will change your life. 
even in the greeting of a letter. So let's jump into our dear John, okay? So Paul writing here uh, again to Titus, and here's what he says. He says, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith. Aren't you glad you didn't have to write something like that every time you ever sent a letter? I mean, literally, everything that we just read is what we have encapsulated in the dear whatever the person's name is. Like, that's what he's saying. So he's saying, hey, this is a letter from Paul, and I'm sending this letter to you, Titus, and all of these other things in the middle are nothing more than a greeting. But man, it's a powerful greeting. So here's what I want to do. I just read that to you in the New King James Version. I want to read it to you in the New Living Translation, just briefly, if I could. Uh, to kind of help you really grab a hold of what it is that Paul is saying in the midst of a greeting. So Paul says this, this letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim, proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I am writing to Titus, my true son, in the faith that we share. Now, you can see in the New Living Translation, we read that part. You can kind of get a little bit more of understanding exactly what it is that Paul is writing to Titus and why in the midst of this greeting that we can actually uh, begin to glean some, some real impactful statements that can help us live our lives for Christ. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to spend some time kind of walking this through because everything that Paul is writing here is for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, you know what the gospel is. You hear it. I know you hear it here a lot. Uh, the gospel is just simply this, is that we're all sinners, that, that, that God loved you anyway, that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, to pay with his mercy, to pay for our sins, because we never could have afforded it, we never could have done it on our own. And so Christ died for our sins, he was buried for our sins, and three days later he rose again to give us freedom and forgiveness from our sins, and that all that we must do is to believe in Jesus, and by doing so, the gospel, the good news changes our lives and changes our futures and changes our eternity. And so everything that Paul's writing here is for the furtherance of the gospel. Now here's the problem. The problem is, is that so often in our journey, you know what we do? We look at the gospel as a one and done trans transaction. We look at it almost kind of like we're going through the drive-through, the, the spiritual drive-through, you know, as if there were some golden arches out there that rather than a big M, it's a big J or a big JC, you know. And so we're we driving down the road of life and all of a sudden we recognize, man, I really need something. And rather than like, hey, I'm really hungry or I need food, we recognize that we need salvation. And so knowing that we need salvation, knowing that we need to be experiencing the gospel to change us from our current state into a new creation, you know what we do? We see the golden arches of JC down the street, we pull into the line, the drive through line, we get up to the window, and we simply say, listen, I believe this, I, I really want to get saved, will you save me today? And then the person behind the speaker says, absolutely, pull to the first window. 
and we pull to the first window and then they stamp us, hey, you are now in the Lamb's book of life. Good news. Because you believed in Jesus, you are a Christian. And then we drive out of the driveway, we get back on the road of life, and then we just continue on our merry way. The gospel is not a one and done transaction. The gospel is not simply something that we do in a moment, at a given time, in a given place, where we make a decision, we raise a hand, we pray a prayer, and then like all is well, all is good, life continues. Now, understand this. There are people that for them it is a one and done situation. The thief on the cross, that's what it was. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and there was a thief next to him? And remember, Jesus said, today, certainly you will be with me in paradise because that person believed. Now, you know as well as I do, that person didn't jump off that cross and go out and begin to live the, you know, the the, the wonderful Christian life. He died that same day. And so, yes, for some people, man, I've been in the room where I've seen people pray to receive Christ moments before death. I've had the privilege of, of leading some people on their deathbed to Christ where I knew that, that, that as they made this decision, that not long afterwards, that they entered into the fullness of that decision because they stepped into the, the shores of heaven. So, so I know that for some it's a different thing. But Paul is writing this saying, listen, this thing is important. Man, we've got to live the right way. We've got to do what it is that God has called us to do. So in this, this season, this idea of walking through this, this, this message of the gospel, we've got to get back to the place where we recognize that the hope of the gospel is absolute. Like when you believe in Jesus, man, it's a done deal. You are good to go. God has saved you through his son, Jesus Christ, and there's nothing that you can do that can ever lose that. I mean, you are bound by the hand of God. Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. The hope of the gospel is absolute, but the spread of the gospel is dependent on us. And this is why Paul wrote this letter. So I've spent a lot of time kind of setting this up, and I've done it on purpose, because I want you to make sure, I want to make sure you understand how critical, how serious, how vital it is that we recognize our role as it relates to the gospel. So in this greeting, in this brief uh, Dear John section of the letter, there are some things that we can allow ourselves to be taught by a, a greeting in a letter. And the first thing that we learn is this, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. Go back to verse 1. Paul, writing this, he starts this statement by saying, you know, Paul, a bondservant of God. In the New Living Translation, it translates it this way. This letter is from Paul, and he uses the Greek word here, the Greek word doulos. And in case you wonder what the Greek word doulos means, it literally means slave. Now, obviously, we live in a culture where the word slave is it's not, a, uh, it's not an attractive word. It's not a word that, that we like. It's not something that brings joy to what we hear. It's not something that, that encourages us because we in our nation, we have a, a, a bad history with the word slavery. There's no question, there's no doubt that you go back in our, in our nation's history and there was a, some horrific days, and I make sure you understand, horrific, not terrific, horrific days in our nation's history where slavery was a part of our, uh, of our journey. It's a slave is not a great word. So why would Paul use the word doulos, the word slave here, to talk about this idea, this, this message of him writing, saying, I am a slave. Here's why. Because that is exactly what we become the moment that we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And you say, well, wait a minute, but it's not a good thing. Oh, it's a really great thing 
when God is the master. When God is the one that we are a slave to, when God is the one that we are a bond, a servant of, man, it changes the dynamic, it changes the trajectory, it changes the journey completely. Because you see, when we are a slave of God, when we are a bondservant of God, our Father, the King of kings, when we are in that position, the one thing that we know is that our God will never do anything to us or or for us or around us that will cause us harm. In other words, when we are serving our God as a slave to our God, when we're doing exactly what it is that our God has told us to do, it will only lead to joy, hope, and contentment. And so you see the difference that Paul stated here. Listen, I'm writing this letter to you, and I just want you to understand, Paul says, don't don't miss this. I am a slave of God. And that is not a bad thing. That's a great thing. And everyone in this room should consider yourself, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you ought to just, in your mind, set up this this idea, this concept that, that I am a slave of God. And that's a really good thing. And here's why. Because when you get to the place when you accept that you are a slave of God, then it's going to put yourself in the right heart attitude that I want to do what my master tells me. And now, do you see why it's so important that Paul wrote those words? Because if Paul did not call himself a slave, that he would not convey to Titus and to all who read this letter, including us 2,000 years later, he would not have conveyed to us how very important it is that we are doing exactly what the master has told us to do. So Paul starts, man, I'm a slave of God. We don't have a choice. Being faithful to God, faithful to the gospel, serving God is not an option. It is required. We are duty-bound to do exactly what it is that he has told us to do. So the first thing, we don't have a choice. The second lesson that we can learn from this greeting is just simply this, is that we have a duty not just to know the truth, but to live the truth. And boy, what a difference that is. Not just to know the truth, we have a duty to live the truth. Look what he says here again in verse 1, the second part of that verse. According to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Now the New Living Translation, again, I'll read it to you this way. It says this, to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. We recognize that our duty, Paul's duty, Titus's duty, my duty, your duty, all of our duty is this, is that we must know the truth and then we must do everything we possibly can to live the truth because when we live the truth, it will naturally lead to us living godly lives. And we've got to live godly lives if we're going to be the representatives of Christ, the representatives of the gospel that, that we have such a duty to convey. And so Paul made this statement. And by the way, this, this element here, it's a picture of our own spiritual growth, right? You go back into that first verse, the second part of the first verse in the New King, New King James, and, and there's three words there that are important. It talks about growth, and it talks about faith, and it talks about knowledge, it talks about godliness. So in other words, we have to recognize our spiritual growth. Man, you got to have faith. You cannot grow in your faith until you truly believe that God is exactly who he said he is, that his son is exactly who he said he is, that Jesus died and that he rose again. It starts with faith. 
And then as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, then what we do is we grow in knowledge of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he's done. And as we grow in knowledge of Jesus Christ, the next natural step is just simply this, that we're going to live in godliness. And so it's a natural pathway for every single person who's ever been a part of the local church. Now listen, Paul knew that the church back in those days was messed up because somewhere along the way they took a wrong turn. Somewhere along the way there was a detour. Somewhere along the way there was a fork in the road and they took the wrong side. And today in our culture, let me just tell you, we've done the exact same thing. So many of us today say, man, I'm a Christian, absolutely, man, I believe that Jesus died, that he rose again. And then we walk our lives as if we are no different from those who have never even heard the name of Jesus. And we wonder why the world's so messed up. Let me just, I want to make a statement. The world today is messed up. You know that, right? And the world today is not messed up because of politics. It is not messed up because of economy. It is not messed up because of coronavirus. It is not messed up because of anything other than the fact that the world has abandoned the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's word, God's way, the gospel is the answer to every problem that we have in our world today. And so when we know that, when we recognize that it is only found in God's word that we find our hope, it's in God's word and God's way that we find our help, when we get that, when we know that, when we believe that, it changes everything. It brings light into the darkness. It brings hope into the hopelessness. It brings a future into what seems to be the dead end. And it's all found through the hope of the gospel. And so we've got to recognize, man, that when we come to this, this, this thing called our faith journey, this thing called our life with Christ, when we have made that decision to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we must always understand and recognize this. It's not just simply that we have been given a key to heaven. It's that we have a duty to represent the God of heaven for the rest of our days. And so the third thing we see here is this, the truth matters. We've talked a little bit about this already. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit of God, who breathed these words into the heart and the hand of Paul, put that statement into God's Word? Because we already know that that God is all-powerful, right? We know that God is all-knowing, right? We know that God is a loving God. We know that God loves us. We know that Christ died for us regardless. Aren't you glad... That somewhere in the 66 books that make up this, this thing called the Word of God that we cherish, that we read, that we study, that there's a statement that is made that our God, the God that we've talked about in all 66 books of this, oh, He's the God who cannot lie. Aren't you glad that that says that? Because you know what that tells us when it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Romans chapter 8? You turn over to Titus 1 and it says, oh yeah, by the way, that God cannot lie. When you read in the book of Joshua, that God will never leave us and never forsake us. You flip back over to Titus 1 and say, oh yeah, and that God says that he cannot lie. When you find yourself reading through God's word and you're encouraged to say that with God all things are possible because of what he says, you flip back over to Titus 1 and say, oh yeah, and by that way, that God, yeah, he cannot lie. I'm so grateful that the God that we love and the God that we serve, the God that we get so many great promises from in his book, that we are reminded here in Titus 1, that God cannot lie. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something here, because I think we all know this, so I'll just bring up the obvious here. I'm putting on my Captain Obvious hat here. 
Every person in this room can lie. Is there anybody here that cannot lie? Just raise your hand. Anybody that cannot lie? You cannot lie. You just lost. You're a liar. (laughs) We all can lie because we are flawed. We are broken. But our God cannot lie. Man, what a great hope. What a great promise. And so when you talk about this idea of the truth, the truth really does matter because it's the only constant, the only guarantee in anything in life. You've also, you all heard the, the statement in, in, in you know, different settings and different places that there are only two things that are guaranteed in life, right? Death and taxes. You've all heard that, right? Yeah, so you know, we know that's kind of true. We get that. But, but here's the, one, the only thing that is an absolute guarantee is that God is truth, that God cannot lie. And when you depend and base your life upon that God, it's the only place where you will find absolute truth. Amen. That's where I want to live. Man, that's where I want to walk. That's where the journey that I want to be on. So, so reckon, man, the truth really does matter. And so, listen, here's the next thing real quick. So we walk through this greeting, and then the next thing we learn is this, talking about this, this, this passion that we have and this calling that we have. And here's the statement. It's our job, but it's also our joy. Now, some of you tomorrow will get up and you will go to work. And some of you enjoy where you work and some of you don't. I'm not going to ask for you to tell me which one you are. Uh, Some of you will get up, you know, maybe this afternoon and go to work. And maybe you'll like where you're going to work and maybe you'll go out and you'll just hate where you're going. It doesn't matter regardless. But the one job that we all have that is also always a joy is this. It's our job. It's our joy. Look what it says in verse 3. But has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Now, quickly, New Living Translation. Paul writing, it is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Again, Paul writing, just to kind of, you know, make sure we really get the idea that Paul is trying to convey here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given, listen, the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. I have been given the privilege. Like, I can't believe that God gave me this opportunity. Man, I'm a sinner, and I'm messed up, and I have blown it. I I have, I mean, I have all the wrong turns. I've taken them. I mean, I am a a poster boy for all the mess-ups of life. And then Paul says this, but I have been given the great privilege of preaching the gospel. Isn't that cool? He was proud of the fact that God had given him this challenge. Make no mistake, the same job that Paul was given by by God himself is the same job that God has given to you. In Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts chapter 1, very clear. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all the nations, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That was not a calling to Paul. It was not a calling to Peter. It was a calling to us all. It was a calling for every single one of us. It is all of our jobs, and we should be proud. It is our job, but man, it's our joy. We ought to be so excited that God has allowed us to be a part of this great journey that brings hope into the lives of people. Now listen, some of us in this room, we don't have a problem bragging about stuff. And we all, you know, in your minds, be honest, you all have somebody in your mind, somebody you know, they have no problem bragging about stuff. I'm just, listen, I'm going to be honest, transparent, I'm just going to be like completely open with you, because I want accountability from you guys. 
So come August, I'm going to be an arrogant jerk when it comes to showing pictures of my grandkids. I really am. When, when my grandkid is born, August or whatever, I'm just telling you, I'm going to have, I, I've always, I, I hate wallets. And so, like, this is my wallet here. I try to get the smallest wallet I possibly can. I mean, I try to, because I just hate wallets. I used to have, actually, where I would only do it, I'd take money, some cash, and I'd wrap it around a couple of credit cards and my driver's license, and I would put a rubber band around it and stick it in my pocket. That was my wallet. And Sherry hated that. I mean, she thought I looked like somebody, well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, she hated that. I'm going to tell you, I'm already looking for the biggest wallet I can find. With it's got, you know, remember the old days when you had those things that when you open up a wallet and those things fell down, you know, those plastic things that opened and opened, you know, it fanned out where all the places for your pictures. When I was in high school, I had those, Kevin, you had them too. We had our, our wallets with well, all the places for pictures. And we, and the goal of life when we were in high school was to get pictures, uh, the school pictures of the girls in our classes so we could put them in there as if we were somebody. And I've, I mean, I've got wallets going all the way back to 1982, 83, where I've got all these pictures of girls who couldn't care if I existed or not. But I had their picture, and they signed the back, baby. I mean, it was a big deal. It was a big, big deal. Now, since that time, I have not carried any pictures in my wallet, but I'm a dude, I'm telling you. When it gets to August, man, it's game over. I mean, it's, it's a new day. It's a new day in glory, right? That's not a Christian song. It's, it's a different thing. And so we have no problem sometimes bragging about stuff. But let me just tell you, the thing that we should be the most proud of is the fact that God looked down and saw us in our darkness and in our sin and in our worthlessness. And here's what he said. I love them and I have called them and I want to use them because they are my representatives. Go! And let the world know about Jesus. That's the thing that we should be most proud of. That God has chosen us. So yes, it's our job. But oh man, it's our joy. And the last thing, just quickly. It's a joy that's been given to us all. So look back in verse uh, 4. The first part of that verse in this greeting. After Paul spent about, you know, three sentences for the word dear. You know? So like there was, you know, like we would write a letter like Dear Tom or whatever. He spent three sentences encapsulating the word dear. And then he comes to the second part of that greeting and he says to Titus, a true son in our common faith. Listen, this was something that we can learn in this greeting is that this calling of God was not exclusive to Paul. We put the Apostle Paul up on a pedestal and let me be honest with you, I mean, he deserves it of, of, of what he has done and what he has been used by God to do, no question about it. But here's what Paul understood. It's not just his call. It wasn't just his job. And so he made the clear statement, yep, I'm a slave of God. And man, I've been called, I've been entrusted with this thing called the gospel. And then it's amazing. But also, Titus, it's your job So here's the thing that we can learn from today's three or four verses that we've spent some time talking about. The calling of God is an amazing thing. And it's a calling that is universal. It's to all of us. If you're a person who has claimed the name of Jesus, if you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, listen, that call, man, it is stamped on you instantly. It's your call. And man, you need to be proud of that call. But you also need to be diligent to that call. 
Because I believe there are some Christians today who are proud of the call, who never actually do anything with it. So are you going to be faithful? Are you going to be a slave of God to do exactly what it is the master has called you to do so that we can fulfill the command of God, which is called the Great Commission, to tell the world that Jesus is. That's the calling on my life. That's the calling on your life. It's the calling on all of our lives. So the takeaway from today's message, the takeaway from this passage is just simply this. Are we going to be found faithful? Are you going to do it? Man, I pray. Oh, I pray. I pray that you will. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the encouragement and the challenges that we find in your word. Encouragements because we know that you are our hope and challenges because we know that we have a duty and response. And so God, I pray that today as we take a few moments here in times of commitment, a time of, uh, of decision and dedication, perhaps for some, a time of conversion, a time where they've recognized, man, I, I, I need to be a child of God. I need to accept this gift of the gospel that is so life-changing. Believing that Jesus died and that he rose again. And if, if there's somebody here, Father, that's never done that, I pray right now you would help them to make that decision. God, speak truth into our lives because we need it. And allow us to be exactly what it is that you've called us to be. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. The altar is going to be open. Our team is coming to the front. And as the altar opens, the challenge also opens. Because there are some of you here today, you have claimed the name of Christ, but man, when it comes right down to your faithfulness to the call, it's been a little shaky. Not really sure if you've been kind of hitting on all cylinders as it relates to your faith. And, and let's be honest, don't, number one, don't be embarrassed by that. Because we all get there at some points in our life. We all get there. That's part of the journey. And the cool thing is, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that when we get to that part in our journey where we're kind of like blowing it, messing up, not really doing what we're supposed to do, God's Word says that if we confess our sin, and by the way, it is sin, the Bible says when we know to do right, we know to do what it is that God's Word says. When we know that and we don't do it, that's sin. And so when we get to that place, God's Word says this, we confess our sin, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Period. Done. Absolute. Automatic. Count on it. God will forgive you. So maybe today some of you need to come down to this altar and just say, man, not really been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So God, I'm kneeling here, you know, in your house. God, I'm sorry. Changing it today. Some of you need to do that. Some of you need to come down and talk with one of our team members here about this thing called the gospel. Our team is gathering here. Man, they're passionate about the gospel. And maybe you're sitting out there and you're like, man, I, you know, I've heard it, I know it, but yeah, I just, I'm not sure. Let me just tell you, if you are not 100% sure of your faith, then I would be concerned if I were you, if you are even in the faith. It's not something that you can be wishy-washy about. Man, make sure. 
Come down here. Ed Gomes is right here. Ed's one of our, our pastors, one of our team members here. Listen, if you're not sure, come down, talk to Ed, talk to Tom, one of these guys, one of these ladies, and just say, listen, I want to know. I want to know. Because God does not want us to walk in uncertainty. God does not want us to walk in this constant fear that we haven't done it right. And the important thing that we need to understand is that when you're worried about whether you've done it right, then there's a problem because we can't do anything to be worthy of the gift of the gospel. It's what he did, not us. And so, man, we need to come down and just get sure, 100%. Yeah, I'm a child of God. Maybe you need to come and, and come for baptism. We talked about that earlier today. Maybe you've never been baptized. Or maybe you grew up in a, in a, in a church where they baptize you when you're like a little baby. And they sprinkle water in your face and you cry and you're mad about it, but you don't remember it. And the only thing that you remember is the fact that your parents told you or showed you pictures or they showed you that beautiful little dress that they put on you when you got baptized when you were, you know, not even aware of what was going on around you. And that's, that's all fine and good, but here's the thing. According to God's word, what we must do is we must be saved by God through his son, Jesus Christ. And then in the next step of obedience then we need to be baptized. So maybe today, now I'm not discounting what you did as a child. That's fine, that's awesome, that's wonderful, that's great. But, biblically, if you've come to Christ as a teenager, as an adult, and the only baptism moment you ever had is when you were a little baby, or maybe you've never had one at all, yeah, you absolutely ought to get baptized. Because it is doing what God commanded through His Son Jesus. Jesus said these words, this should be done. It's a command of God. Maybe you want to come and leave a prayer request or a praise, or maybe you want to come and join our church. Well, whatever it is that God is saying, we're going to stand right now, we're going to sing these words, and as we do, I encourage you, let God lead you, guide you, change you, because we can't do it on our own. We desperately need Him. So let's stand together. Let's sing. The altar is open. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, 
anyone. That means you. It means me. It means every person that has ever lived. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today. Believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves. Thank you.